Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on the Fat-Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. Let's talk about air for a second. When was the last time you checked how safe your air is? I know with all of the, uh, the wildfires, increases in industrial pollution, increases in population, not just in the U.S., but around the world, most of us, more than half of us, are breathing dirty, polluted air, especially if you're living anywhere close to an urban area or an industrial area. So one of the things that Allison and I have been doing over the past few years, since we can kind of work from wherever, we've tried living in a bunch of different places. And one of the things we've been chasing is clean air, clean water. Uh, a healthy, balanced ecosystem. One of the most concerning things, though, about breathing dirty, polluted air is that it not only shaves years off of our lives, but it also decreases cognitive performance. It actually <laughs> makes us less intelligent when we're basically our bodies have to filter through a lot more junk and they have to work harder. Our livers are basically on overdrive when we're breathing polluted air, when we're eating polluted food or drinking polluted water. It's a very holistic thing. We don't just exist in component parts. And to help us put it all together, someone who's been personally touched in his own life by dementia and has now made it his mission to spread the word about how you can actually prevent a lot of these horrible things from happening. I'm really excited to say I'm back here uh, today returning to the show with Mr. Max Lugavere. Max is a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and uh, now a New York Times bestselling author as well. Now, before we get to the interview, here's a review that just came in from Steve. He says, The Wild Diet changed my life. I have always been a relatively healthy eater, but hearing more about how the food industry works really changed the way me and my fiance approach what we eat. We now adhere to the wild diet and are loving every meal. We don't just eat to eat now. We turn every dinner into an event with great anticipation that we truly enjoy together. The book didn't only change the way we eat, it strengthened our relationship by spending more quality time together. That's from Steve. Steve, thank you so much for writing in and sharing that. What a, what a gem right there because, you know, the wild diet is not meant to be like this dogmatic diet that you follow at all. It's, it's almost like a, <laughs> a philosophy or a lifestyle. It's certainly a lifestyle, but it's more of a, a way to approach food again um, in this crazy, messy, confusing world of dieting and nutrition and fitness and industry and all of that. But really, one of the, the biggest gifts, I think, about getting into food and becoming a foodie is it comes when you share it with the people who you love. So for myself, like sharing dinner every night with, uh, with my wife, Allison, is always one of my favorite parts of the day. And um, we even shop together for food. We go to farmer's markets. We kind of make it something that, that really means a lot to us. It's, it's a small, primal, visceral thing that we get to enjoy together. But you also get to make mistakes together, learn together. And man, I'm just so glad that, that you folks are enjoying that yourselves and, uh, and really um, enriching your own relationship 
through food. It's a great excuse to do that. So if you're listening and you haven't tried getting into food as, as a fun hobby, um, then carve out some time for it. It's really worth it. And honestly, I think it's one of the biggest, I guess, predictors of success over the course of your, your life. If you can enjoy eating this way and eating clean, living clean, moving your body with somebody else, you're going to have a much better shot of doing it for the rest of your life. And you know, you don't, you don't just sign up for this a little bit. Health is something that uh, is a moving target and you've always got to keep your eye on it. So kudos to you both. And if you're listening right now and you have a story to share, please just drop me an email at able at fatburningman.com or leave a comment at fatburningman.com. Sign up for the email list, reply to that, whatever, get in touch. I'm not the best at social media, but if you come to fatburningman.com or ablejames.com, I will definitely be there for you. In fact, my team installed a new one of those chat functions and it's actually a real person. It's not just one of those bots or whatever. So uh, those are on our websites now too. So you might not notice because it's just kind of like a little logo down at the bottom right, I believe it is. But click that. If you have any questions, you don't just have to send an email anymore. Now it's becoming more interactive and we're really happy to say that we're uh, upgrading a lot of things behind the scenes uh, on our own websites and streams and feeds and what have you that you'll be able to enjoy enjoy in the months ahead. So uh, be sure to check out the Ultimate Daily Bundle at wildsuperfoods.com, which includes Future Greens, Mega Omegas, the Vitamin D Stack, and Probiotic Spheres. You can save over 128 bucks if you select the Subscribe and Save. So all you have to do is go to wildsuperfoods.com slash save128. Save 128. So wildsuperfoods.com slash save 128 to get the deal. Another really cool thing when you uh, subscribe and save with Wild Superfoods on that bundle, you'll also get free access to our group coaching program in the Fat Burning Tribe as a thanks for supporting our work. So you also get tons of recipes. It's normally about $27 a month. Uh, so that's one thing that we're re really excited to do is, is try to make more of our content free and supported by, you know, kind of sponsoring ourselves with products that we use ourselves. So anyway, Wild Superfoods is great. Check it out. Uh, but if you're just looking for freebies, go to fatburningman.com, uh, sign up for the email list, and I'll send you a seven-day meal plan and a quick start guide so you can get rolling right away. All right, on to the show with Mr. Max Lugavere. You're about to learn how intermittent fasting affects your brain, how to get smarter over time instead of dumber, the dangers of air pollution, what you can do about it, the difference between a wild banana and a cultivated banana, and tons more. Let's go hang out with Max. All right, folks, returning to the show today, Mr. Max Lugavere is a filmmaker, health and science journalist, now podcaster, and also New York Times bestselling author. Thanks for joining us once again, Max. Thank you, Abel, so much for having me. What a treat it is to be back with you. Well, you're doing such good work, as we were just saying. You didn't flame out. You've been at this for a while now. Actually, you never really stopped, right? You, ever since you were young, you've, you've kind of been like on the screen trying to do good. And your latest work is very much needed right now. It seems like fewer people than ever know how to eat, how to live, especially when it relates to brain health. And what some people might, might not realize is it's a, a very personal journey for you. In fact, before this this interview, I was I was looking at some of your social media and some of the work you've been doing, and I saw you dancing with your mom, and I'm just like getting a little like choked up just thinking about it. But one thing that I 
I know even I don't appreciate enough, although I've seen some dementia in my family and, and people around me, is, is what does it actually look like and how does it progress over time? What are the things that we should be concerned with in, in ourselves and the people around us? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, for anybody, it's a marked change in cognition. You know, they say if you forget where your keys are, that's normal. If you forget what your keys are for, then that's a problem. That's when you should go see your neurologist. But the other thing is that people can have memory problems for a myriad of reasons. You know, some of them could be medical conditions that are treatable, easily treatable. Um, that's why it's really important to touch base with your physician um, if you have concerns about the way that your memory is working. You know, not every memory complaint is going to end up being dementia. Thank God, because dementia is horrible. And this is something that I see every day in my mom. And it's really something that motivates my work in its entirety. You know, I mean, I can't lie and say that I don't completely love what it is that I do for a living. But um, it's motivated by the fact that a couple of years ago, my mom started to develop uh, the earliest symptoms of dementia. And now at this point, it's pretty advanced. And it's something that you know, I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. And I don't purport to have all of the answers. You know, this is a very rapidly evolving field of science. 90% of what we know about Alzheimer's disease has been discovered only in the past 15 years, wow. even though it was first named in 1906. So, I mean, this is something that it's rapidly evolving. And, um, you know, the next five years, 10 years are going to just unearth so many unanswered questions when it comes to Alzheimer's disease. Um, and dementia really is the umbrella category because, you know, my mom doesn't have Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's has uh, affects 5 million people in the United States, but it's, it's the most common form of dementia. There are other forms of dementia. There's mm -hmm. frontotemporal dementia. There's Lewy body dementia. There's Parkinson's disease dementia. And so nonetheless, you know, this is something that really it's set to explode um, in the coming years. And I think that we have enough information today at this point, we're at this interesting juncture where we don't have to sit on our hands any longer and wait idly until whatever our genetic fate dictates to us, you know? Yeah. 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 I, and you had such a great point in your book as well. It says like, we don't need more science to tell us that stuff is wrong. Right. It's like, yeah. you don't say that exactly, but I mean, it, the point is, I mean, even if you look at what's happened with obesity since the time that we were kids, that's a, a pretty obvious one to see, whereas uh, dementia, it's a little more ephemeral, right? But we saw how quickly obesity has spread to more and more adults, more and more children. And as to your point, in the future, looking forward, it seems that dementia is kind of doing the same thing. So why should that be scary and what should we do about it? Yeah, I mean, well, the, the truth is it robs us of the essence of who we are. You know, I mean, it's like neuroscientist D.F. Swab says we are our brains. And so we're millennials, right? Able like we may be at the older end of the millennial spectrum, but we're a generation that's invested more in human capital than any prior generation. So the loss of intelligence that the you know, that this implies for the universe really to me is staggering and tragic and, you know, in a very real personal sense, I mean, to watch a loved one go through dementia, it's like, I can't even, it's, it's so heartbreaking. And, you know, I'm just trying to cherish every moment that I have with my mom. And, you know, as much as I try to dictate my mom's diet and, and try to put her on, you know, the diet that I believe to be the most brain protective diet, dementia often begins in the brain decades before the first symptom of memory loss. So 
it's something that I really decided that if I was going to, if anybody was going to have an impact on this condition, it's going to be actually me by getting this message out to younger people. You know, I believe that there's a fundamental limitation that doctors have when it comes to um, spreading the message of prevention, and especially when it comes to conditions that most people consider to be old people's conditions like dementia. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I really, you know, I just, I felt so strongly that I actually might have the potential to make somewhat of a dent in this condition by sharing my story and by really doing the homework, doing my due diligence and spreading the science that I was uncovering in my research. Yeah. And it, it's a creepy thing because you can kind of see it start to appear and then get worse in certain people who may or may not realize it around you. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us do see that. And, and sometimes it's, you want to chalk it up to normal aging, right? So, oh, you know, in your 40s, 50s, 60s now. The problem is it seems like that number is creeping down and what's been normalized shouldn't be so very normal, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I, I was in the lab at Brown University of Suzanne de Lamonte, who coined the term type 3 diabetes to describe Alzheimer's disease, which is a staggering theory as to why Alzheimer's disease develops. And Suzanne de Lamonte showed me some very interesting data. She also has a master's in public health, and she was she basically accessed government records and, and sort of looked at them and organized the data in a way that hadn't been previously done. And she found that across all age groups, rates of dementia are actually increasing. So this is not something that could be explained by genes or the fact that we're living longer. It's that people are becoming demented more frequently. And you look at the, as you alluded to, you know, the rates of obesity, type 2 diabetes in this country, it's just out of control. And I don't understand really why it's taken us so long to connect the dots between Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and other chronic diseases that we're seeing just explode in, in Western society. So, yeah. And as all of these things are getting worse, certain people appear to be like not getting worse. And it's, and it's a fluke, whether we like it or not. But there's like there's a certain sliver of health nuts that seem to be doing OK. Yet, if you're not a health nut, it seems like almost everyone is getting swallowed up by the medical industrial complex, by pharmaceuticals, by by poor quality food and all this other stuff. How do, how do you <laughs> get to the other side? I mean, we work in media, right? You and I, I think we live in a, in a, in a crazy time where information is coming at people 24-7. And... At the same time, our most trusted voices in terms of health and wellness, our, our physicians, are undertrained when it comes to nutrition. So it leads to a lot of people basically being confused and ultimately feeling hopeless when it comes to making these choices for themselves. I mean, I get this in my little microcosm on Instagram, for example, where I battle constantly with nutritional misinformation. And all I'm trying to do, like I, I take no uh, side, I have no bias, I didn't come at this world with any preconception. but. It's just that people are are really confused and media doesn't do a good job at, at conveying science. So people don't really have anywhere to turn to answers for yeah. answers. Yeah. And so I think that leaves people kind of feeling like, well, you know, there are no truths. And so therefore, I just need to accept the fate that comes my way or eat everything in moderation, which I think is the worst advice ever yeah. or, you know, or what have you. So, I mean, and genes also do play a role. I mean, not to belittle you know, basic biology, but, you know, my dad, knock on wood, he's healthy. He has drank alcohol and smoked cigarettes. He still smokes, smoked cigarettes his whole life. 
doesn't eat very healthy, but he has always practiced whether, you know, even before there was a name for it, time-restricted feeding, hmm. which is very interesting. That is interesting. Um, yeah, he's, he always ate like one or two meals a day and um, never ate breakfast, always skipped breakfast and, you know, ate early dinners and that's it. You know, very limited feeding windows for my dad. And, you know, I mean, knock on wood, he's healthy today. Um, but my mom, on the other hand, my mom is somebody who really made a rigorous attempt to adhere to the dietary guidelines. She was always very concerned about heart disease because her father had passed of heart disease. And so she was very tuned in to the messaging that has pervaded this country over the past 50 years about fats and cholesterol and things like that. And so my mom ate breakfast every day, uh, low fat, low cholesterol cereals with skim milk. Um, we always used corn oil in my house. We always had margarine in the fridge. And so... People eating the standard American diet, especially given a certain genetic background, I think are just setting themselves up for disaster. And that's that's what you ate growing up too, right? That's what I ate growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am the picture of privilege in this country, right? I grew up in New York City. I had access to healthy food. Thankfully, I was fortunate my parents could afford healthy food. Mm -hmm. But my mom was busy. My mom was a, a working woman with three young children, and she had my dad, who was the fourth child, if you, you know. <laughs> if you count his behaviors. And so, you know, my mom's health information that she received was from magazines and newspapers and media. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we know that over the past couple of decades, dietary cholesterol was something that was considered unhealthy. Fats and uh, especially saturated fats were considered deleterious to health. And so my mom always made an effort when we were shopping to buy you know, the, the fat-free, low-sodium alternatives to uh, natural foods. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's what I grew up with. That's totally, that was my diet. And the irony is that we were trying to be healthy the whole time. Right. That's, I, I kind of started reading as a precocious little kid, my dad's magazines. And uh, I think I was like eight when I started worrying about cholesterol, saturated fat, and all these things that I had to take out of my diet, which is just absurd to think about, especially considering that it's wrong. But, you know, that was pretty typical, I think, for our generation to be eating this this food that we thought was healthy and we're trying so hard to be healthy that it's making us sick. We're like yeah. your dad is smoking cigarettes and just like eating once or twice a day. And when everyone thinks that he's the unhealthiest, yet he's right. doing certain things that are like very uh, in line with with how we historically lived. Right. Let's Let's talk about that a little more. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, and first of all, you know, I think one thing that's really interesting and worth mentioning, I think the worst casualty of the demonization of fat over the past 50 years hasn't been necessarily that we were all avoiding saturated fat, because I do think that when it comes to saturated fat, there's still a genetic difference in the way certain people process saturated fat and respond to it in terms of their blood lipids. But I think the fact that that, that recommendation was then exploited and our fear surrounding saturated fat was then exploited by the food industry really opened the door. It was like the movie, the gate. Remember that scary movie in the eighties, basically yeah. like when they put the, the corpse of the dog into the hole in the ground and all of a sudden, you know, any number of ghoulish creatures appeared. That was basically the modern supermarket in the early nineties. Yeah. Right. I mean, 
fat-free oil, you know, oils that basically wouldn't be absorbed like a Lestra, creating like a slip and slide through your digestive tract. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the kinds of things we were told to eat instead of healthy, natural, fat-containing foods. And by the way, you know, one of the things that our governmental agencies neglected to tell us when they were busy demonizing saturated fat for 50 years is that every natural fat-containing food has saturated fat in it. <laughs> right. Every healthy, natural fat-containing food is a significant source of saturated fat. Breast milk, right? Extra virgin olive oil, which is the hallmark of the, you know, the Mediterranean dietary pattern, which is just sort of like the darling child of nutritional epidemiologists all around the world, right? Extra virgin olive oil is 15% saturated fat, right. which is one of the reasons why it's so chemically stable. So, so yeah, so it's just been it's just been crazy, and I'm super grateful that technology has allowed the truth to get out there, and for people like us, you know, true passionate health investigators to unearth science that people really ought to know about and bring it to people in a way that's palatable, no pun intended. Now, let's talk a little bit about the fasting specifically, because your dad did it. I've been doing it for years. I believe you do as well. How does it show up in your life, and and is it similar to your dad, different? Yeah, you know, the way that I practice it is I don't eat for an hour or two or three after I wake up, and I don't eat for two to three hours before bed. And the reason for that is that, you know, our bodies have natural circadian inclinations. And when we wake up first thing in the morning, you know, we have a hormonal milieu that wants to burn fat. Right. It's like for 45 minutes after we wake up, cortisol is the highest that it's going to be throughout the day before beginning a, a slow, gradual decline um, until the end of the day, really. And that's a fat burning hormone. I mean, it's about one of the body's chief catabolic hormones. And it's working to liberate stored fuels, amino acids, fatty acids, stored sugar in the liver for use as fuel. It does that during times of stress, which is one of the reasons why cortisol is, a, is an important stress hormone, right? But in the morning, cortisol becomes elevated to basically allow you the, the vigor to be able to seize the day and go out mm -hmm. and forage and hunt food, explore, you know, for new lands and things like that. And so what we tend to do when we eat breakfast in its most commonly consumed form is we thwart cortisol's catabolic activity specifically on our fat tissue because insulin acts like a one-way valve on our fat cells. Mm -hmm. This is due to, you know, a number of things. But for one, insulin basically activates a protein in, fat, in the adipocyte called hormone-sensitive lipase, which basically prevents fatty acids from leaving the fat cell. And so in the morning uh, hormonal milieu, when we consume the bran muffin, the glass of orange juice, the bowl of oatmeal, cortisol is going to continue to exert its catabolic effects, but only on your muscle tissue and the sugar that you have stored in your liver, not your fat. Mm -hmm. So an hour or two after I wake up, then I'll eat. I'll eat, you know, generally speaking, a huge salad, you know, so a rule that I set for myself. I try to eat a big fatty salad every single day. Nice. Um, it's, it's a great way of checking off your, you know, nutritional boxes for a multitude of minerals and vitamins. I was doing a deep dive recently into the change in what's called our ionome, which is basically the sum nutritional uh, content of our produce over the past 50 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our produce is becoming less nutritious right. over time. Yeah. So Did it say how much? Some nutrients like riboflavin had a, about a 40% decline over the past 50 years. And magnesium uh, is another one that's, that's really dropped off, right? Magnesium, um, protein vitamin C. Basically why this happens is that, you know, it's a combination of factors, but um, in part our, you know, our agricultural methods that 
put yield as sort of the utmost priority yep. um, basically causes, you know, our produce to grow faster than ever before in history, right? Kind and of so, it. yeah, exactly. So it dilutes it with starch and sugar and it makes our produce less nutrient dense. The other thing actually uh, that has been, this hasn't been proven, but they have a number of methods of seeing, of sort of coming to this, to this uh, hypothesis that increasing levels of CO2 in the atmosphere also does the same thing. Hmm. Um, so completely independent of our farming practices, oh, CO2 in the atmosphere, yeah, because plants use CO2 to generate energy. And so the fact that the CO2 in our atmosphere has either doubled or quadrupled um, over the past 100 years, it's caused our plants to uh, grow faster as well. And so essentially what this is doing is causing our plants to become um, less nutritious and contain more starch and sugar. and you know, and that's a that's a pretty bad thing over time. But produce still tends to be some of our. It's a category that still represents some of our most nutrient dense foods. So but it's every day, turning it to, into empty calories somehow. Yeah, progress yeah. is turning it into empty calories. One hundred percent. And you know, this might actually indirectly be contributing to the obesity crisis in America sure. as well, because. You know, when we eat less protein, which we now know our produce is is storing less and less protein because it's growing faster, we tend to eat more of everything else. This is the idea behind what's called the protein leverage hypothesis. And so, you know, this may be a new a new sort of lever by which, you know, people's waistlines are are expanding because, you know, our produce is becoming less satiating. It's it has less protein and less nutrients. It's also one of the reasons why so many of us are malnourished. You know, ninety percent of Americans are now deficient in at least one essential nutrient. So but that being said, you know, every day I'm still trying to eat a large daily salad. I'm trying to do my best, right, given the given the world that, you know, the timeline that I was planted on this earth um, in the middle of. So, you know, dark leafy greens, kale, spinach, and arugula, that's going to be like my first meal of the day. Yeah. And, and you raw? know, what, yeah, typically raw. I do lots of cooked vegetables for dinner, but mm-hmm. uh, during the day I like to get in a decent amount of raw vegetables, especially cruciferous vegetables. Yeah. Um, when you chew raw cruciferous vegetables, you create a compound. Well, you create a number of um, compounds in your mouth when you're chewing these cru- these raw crucifers. But uh, sulforaphane is one of them that I've become kind of interested in um, as this sort of genetic modulator. It's been shown to boost levels of glutathione in the brain, wow. um, which is really important. Aren't and Rush University. Cool? If you Dude, just so, feed them good vegetables, your bodies figure it out and they do everything yes, you need to have oh done. My- well, that's the thing. That's why, like, I feel like one of the things that I'm trying to do is try to transmute the the awe and wonder that I feel about all this stuff yeah. to other people. Because I think above and beyond, like, being healthy, I think it's so cool. Like, each one of us is heir to this incredible legacy honed by millions of years of Darwinian struggle, right? And here we are, like, without an owner's manual – what are we to do? And like 80% of us are overweight at this point or ill in some way. I know. And that's the big tragedy. That's the big tragedy. Wait, of where I think the, the point I'm trying to make is that we're meant to be healthy, that our bodies yes. are incredible, right? We're both making that point. And, and we're uh, all meant to look like you, Abel. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing is, our bodies are meant, whether we're scrambling up rocks you know, behind my house, we live in the Rockies now. And if you let yourself go, if you let yourself be that squirrel on the telephone wire, then like you can move so much better than your brain could make you move, if that makes sense. When you eat something, it's not like, oh, I'm eating vitamin D and vitamin A or whatever. It's like you eat a vegetable that's hearty, 
because you look at it, you touch it, you feel it. It's also hardy. It was raised in a natural environment and your body does just fine. You know, it's like before a hundred or so years ago, no one ever had to worry about any of this stuff. It was all about like, where's our next meal going to come from? Whether we're talking about hunter gatherer days or even like early agriculture. The problem is... To your point, the the nutrient density has been kicked out of almost every category of our foods, even the nutrient dense ones, <laughs> right? But once agriculture came, and and now we're eating three crops that are you know like eighty percent of our diet. I don't know, 60 to 80, depending on who you're looking at and who you're talking about, whatever. And it's the lowest quality, least nutrient dense food that humans arguably have ever been eating. That's a problem, right? Like to come over to the health nut side actually isn't that hard from a dogmatic tactical standpoint, right? Yeah, exactly. You're 100% right. I mean, it's just like we really are living in a time that makes it incredibly difficult to reach our optimal selves. And that's why I have empathy for people who are struggling to be well. And, you know, this is something that I like, I didn't come at this from an interest in fitness and like trying to attain a six pack and like look like an Adonis, right? I, I came at this because I see true sickness every single day. And I've seen what the you know medical establishment can offer a person with this degree of of illness and it's bleak man it is bleak in some of the like most storied cathedrals to western medicine that i've had the privilege of being able to go to it's diagnose and adios in mm -hmm. every instance mm -hmm. so even though it's hard i think it's worth it and even though it's expensive at times Especially if, you know, you don't kind of think about it and plan and it's not as expensive as disease. Right. I'll tell you that. Like, I mean, disease, nothing is expensive like like chronic disease. So it's expensive for the individual. It's expensive for the nation. Mm -hmm. I mean, no matter what side of the political spectrum you fall on, you know, this is like uh, something that's bankrupting um, the nation. Literally, um, yeah. You know, it's just it's just something that I really think that we should all try. We can all afford to try a little bit harder. We're going to feel better. We're going to be more, you know, fully expressed. We're going to be able to love, you know, one another more deeply. And so, yeah, it's just something that I really that I really strongly believe in. One thing that I've been thinking about recently, um, especially when you look at like our books, for example, like once the publisher goes through them and all this stuff, it comes out and it's like genius foods and like the wild diet. And it looks like it's offense, right? But we're playing defense and we're trying to give other people defense as well. And it can be hard to see that from the outside in. But I think that's really what you have to do today. It's not like I'm going to chase that six pack or I'm going <laughs> to be a marathon runner or triathlete. It's more like I need to practice responsibility and self-reliance and put my shields up and, and, and play some defense here because if we just follow the options that are given to us by whether it's the medical community, the food marketing community, uh, or just eating at a cafeteria, if you just go the way that everyone else is going, it's pretty grim. That should be obvious to everyone, but self-defense is really <laughs> what we all need to do, and that that also hopefully will help people frame the idea. It's not like chasing some other silver bullet. It's not like we need a ton more research to tell us that it's good to eat nutrients-dense, dark, leafy greens, right? Like, we know enough about that to all be eating our fatty salads, which is what I do pretty much every day as well, by the way. Like, we can all be doing that right now with exactly what we have, right? 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think so frequently we, you know, we place the burden of proof 
onto you know, foods that have been in the human food supply for a really long time, you know, and it's like the new foods, the, the new inventions and, and creations by the food industry, we sort of, you know, we give a hall pass to like a free get out of jail card. Whereas I believe that, you know, modern food products should be guilty until proven innocent. I was just going to say they're, that. Yeah. They're put on the market you know, and, you know, it's it leaves scientists having to play catch up to really try to find the money and to try to find the resources to prove that these modern, you know, foods and inventions and chemicals, you know, are not safe for human consumption. And They're where do you find the money for that research, right? Like who's yeah. going to pay for that? Whose advantage is that towards, <laughs> you know, regular people? The, the population doesn't have money like that to sponsor studies like that. And the government usually doesn't. Right. Yeah. The NIH, I mean, funding for nutrition research is very limited. And so it's like, why should the burden of proof be placed on, you know, grass fed red meat, for right. example, or, right. you know, studying wild berries or, you know, dark leafy greens? I'm not saying that we don't need research, right? Right. But it's like, we'll consume all the corn oil and canola oil that we can with abandon, right? Mm -hmm. Not thinking for a second that these these foods didn't exist in the food supply up until 70 years ago. Right. So it's just problematic. And there are numerous case studies where things have been on our supermarket shelves only later to be discovered as being very harmful. I mean, trans fats are like... Olestra was one of them, right? It gave people anal leakage. Anal leakage, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... The the worst. And I, I remember buying chips with Olester because I was like, I don't want to, you know, I mean, if I could eat healthy Doritos, right, that aren't going to make me fat. Of course, we're about Americans. It. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we want to have our cake and eat it too. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, trans fats, the worst, you know, dietary emulsifiers now, I think the research on them. I was just reading about purified fiber extracts. You know, I eat protein bars today, low carb protein bars when I'm traveling and I'm on the road that are sweetened using fiber extracts like, you know, chicory root extract or tapioca uh, soluble fiber extract as like the second or third ingredient. And these are new, you know, lab made creations that I have assumed are inert, going to be inert, if not healthy in my body, because they may have some kind of prebiotic effect. Yeah. Well, I was just reviewing a study that came out recently where it showed that in mice, not a perfect study, the mice were at an increased genetic risk for um, liver cancer, but compared to their normal standard diets, when these mice were supplemented with these, um, I believe it was chicory root extract, they had like a significantly increased risk of aggressive liver cancer. And gut just, yeah. Wow. So I'm not saying that that translates to humans. But I do know that if I eat one too many of these protein bars made with chicory root, it blows up my stomach. Yeah. Like something something is not good down there when I eat too many of these protein bars. We know right. that humans have a, a tolerance of about 10 grams of chicory root fiber. So, you know, I don't know what future science is going to say about these extracts. But the point is, is that I think we all need to be a little bit more skeptical about, you know, new foods, modern culinary creations. And it's tempting. It's like, there's this new superfood, right? And it's supposed to do all these things. But even if you look at MCT, I remember when that first started, like, taking off uh, a few years ago. Now, like, everyone is into MCT oil. But if you ask most people who consume it, what's the difference between MCT oil and coconut oil? (laughs) I I would venture to guess that most people couldn't answer that question. And when um, a lot of the people who were in a multi-level marketing keto thing kept trying to get me to sell their crap and there were a lot of those 
they asked me what I thought about some of the powders and some of the MCTs and some of the other stuff that they had sent my way. And almost all of them upset my stomach. And they're just like, mm. oh, I thought you were hard. You were just a softy. And I'm just like, no, your product sucks. And yeah. I don't think it's good for people. <laughs> you know, that's the difference. Maybe I am a softy, but I'd rather be more sensitive and know what a little bit about whether something I'm consuming is good for me or not. And, and like, not that MCT is bad. I'm just saying that like having more and more and more and more and more of it is not good. And also, what's the matter with coconut oil, which is already arguably a somewhat processed product that came from originally a fatty coconut, which, lest we forget, is almost all saturated fat. And that's why it's supposedly good for us, right? Yeah. And I mean, there are, there are entire populations that use tons and tons of coconut oil, but they have different genes than mm -hmm. us, right? Mm -hmm. From the, like, you know, my genes, I'm, a, I'm of Northern European descent, right? So did we have coconuts growing up there? No, you no. know, like or bananas or all these tropical fruits, but you had milk. Maybe you might have had dairy, whereas people down in the tropics might not have. There you go. Great point. Yeah. So it's like, you know, now we live in this world where everything is, you know, we have always on access 24 hours a day, 365 days a year from all different parts of the world. I mean, you go to your modern supermarket. I live in New York City. I've got strawberries grown in Mexico, medjool dates from Morocco, a pineapple grown in, you know, who knows where, yeah. coconuts from, you know, and now we've got, you know, people with different genetic backgrounds, different fitness levels, all sort of thrust into the same modern food environment. And it's just, I mean, there's no question that that's, that there's a relationship there between the, the level of disease that we're seeing mm -hmm. and, you know, the modern food supply. And also talking about modern food supply, if you're eating at a restaurant, then good luck avoiding guar gum, carrageenan, prebiotic fibers, sulfates, you know, like aluminum, all sorts of stuff is inside of our food especially if we don't know what's inside of our food. And I think we have these gigantic blinders on because if you are eating from a cafeteria or if you're at a hotel, if you're traveling or if you're just eating at a friend or family's house, like oftentimes those foods don't come with a giant label explaining everything that's in there. Most of us are consuming some of these things and we don't really know what they're doing to, to us because like we were talking about before, who is going to sponsor the study that says that all of these food additives that are assumed to be safe because they're in all these organic products now, who's going to say that they're actually not safe for us? And then once that does happen, you know, like BPA is a perfect example, is like, oh, BPA is bad. It's doing all this bad stuff to us. We got to get it out of everything. And now everything's BPA free. But what did they put in instead? And is that good for us? <laughs> right? Yeah. And also, what's the matter with glass and stainless steel, which we've been using for at least hundreds of years? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, just going back to like food, uh, we've been using extra virgin olive oil for 8000 years. Right. There's evidence that human beings have been crushing olives for 8000 years. That tells you something, right? We didn't have the chemistry labs required to extract oil from corn and soybeans up until 80 years ago, 100 years ago. And so, you know, it's just... Yeah, I mean, I think by focusing on food quality, I think that really makes everything a lot easier because we don't want to be walking around obsessed, right? Like, I mean, we still want to be able to go and have dinners with our friends in restaurants and things like that. But uh, by focusing on food quality, I really think, um, and Whole Foods specifically, shopping around the perimeter of the supermarket, I think that just kind of like, you know, it allows you to offload some of that anxiety, Yeah, you know? 
by just, you know, the the age old wisdom to consume less packaged processed foods, you know, that I know that you promote in your work. I mean, at the end of the day, we can get into the nitty gritty of like why these foods are so damaging to us and why they're so unhealthy. But, you know, you basically avert any risk of any of these you know, foreign toxic substances entering your body by sticking to to whole foods. Yeah. And it becomes even more critical today because of what we talked about earlier, the fact that our whole foods are becoming less nutritious just by virtue of the environment. And so I think that's why, you know, at the end of the day, you really have to be, um, you know, it's like the answer is really that it's the wild diet, you know, it's genius foods. It's like, it's sticking to those whole foods because it's the best shot that you've got today to be well nourished and to be able to equip your body with the tools that it needs to fight off against the many insults thrown at it by the modern world. Right on. So yeah. that that's the food piece, but I do want to make sure that we talk as well about um, what's happening to our brains in terms of attention, focus, especially in the days of um, notification, social media, email, technology on us all the time, especially for generations like, like, I feel that our generation, millennials, were some degree raised on it. Maybe not digital natives like the, the, the folks who are younger than us. But at least we have some defense against it, maybe some understanding. Whereas our parents' generation is really getting into technology, getting addicted to Apple Watches and all these notifications and sleep tracking and all this stuff. But what is it doing to our brains over time, as you understand? Well... You know, I mean, I think technology, it's its a perfect example of a double-edged sword in that it's incredible to be able to connect with people. You know, loneliness is a toxin. It has mm -hmm. an epigenetic effect. You yeah. know, it's able to regulate gene expression. And, you know, I think obviously we should all try to be more connected in our social environment. But for some people for whom loneliness is not a choice, you know, I think social media allows an incredible way of reaching out and connecting with like minds. You know, if you live in a small town and you feel ostracized for whatever reason, social media is amazing to be able to allow people to connect and feel like they're part of a, a larger fabric of society. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I think it's also damaging because, you know, first of all, it short circuits our brains, um, reward centers. Um, you know, we're always looking for that next like or that, that next comment or the new follower. And importantly, um, it's designed to, I just want to add it's that designed in. to, yeah, it is designed to, I mean, it's like these, these apps are literally created by people that, that are working in, you know, in isolation and their, you know, their paycheck depends on them increasing engagement of their products. So they're all designed to, uh, you know, increase addiction, um, increase engagement and things like that. And I think that's problematic. I think we're spending, a, a, you know, far too much time with our faces plugged into our iPhones. Yeah. Better than our brains, though. Yeah, better than our brains. That's for sure. I mean, I don't know if you believe in like the singularity and what, you know, they're projecting. But but yeah, I mean, who knows what's coming down the pike? Well, I was just listening to Elon Musk the other day, and I do not think that that man is a hero by any means. But he was saying, basically, it looks like we'll have no other option than to get brain implants because otherwise you won't be able to get a job to keep up with all the other people who are getting brain implants to work better at their jobs and be smarter than you. And it's like, I'm not sure that's the best way to be thinking about all of this right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, my perspective on that, um, cause I dabbled a little bit in like the futurism community a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, I think that we need to parse out artificial intelligence from human intelligence. And, you know, when you look at like, an ant, 
walking around on the ground, that ant has in, that's an intelligent creature, right? And especially when you zoom out and you look at a colony of ants, I mean, there is a profound intelligence there, right? So we can design software and and you know machines that display a certain level of intelligence that's for sure but whether or not a computer is ever going to be able to emulate human intelligence i just i don't really believe that that's uh that that's possible but i yeah. you know I, I remain to be uh you it know. could augment human intelligence but that means that it could also be a double-edged sword doesn't it well, it's already augmenting human intelligence. I mean, my, my, you know, my intelligence is like, because of technology, you know, this is my outsourced hive mind. Like this is de my smartphone is an extension of me. You know, when I'm curious about something, I literally a few movements of my fingers and I basically get plugged into, you know, all the world's knowledge within seconds. Or what and right appears now, to be. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's important to, because people do say, now I have all the knowledge in the universe in my hands. Like maybe, yeah. but you also have all the bull in the world there you in go. your hands. Yeah, that's true. That's true as well. And so it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a challenge, I think, you know, as you mentioned, when these computers become, when the friction between our interface with them becomes less and less. Like right now we require thumb, you know, mechanical movements of our thumbs to yeah, interface with our technology. Yeah. Eventually, yeah, eventually, I mean, it's going to be, we're going to have new ways of interfacing with it. You know, I don't even know what that's going to look like, but. It's not Google Glass. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> not going to be Google Glass. That was so nerdy, that thing. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I have my own, you know, technology addictions that I struggle with. I'd like to spend less time on my smartphone. But at the end of the day, like, I'm just, I'm very grateful for, you know, for what it's allowed me to do. I mean, I, I am able to do what I do for a living um, and affect people based solely on technology. I mean, I've, you know, I've obviously done the homework, which technology certainly enabled, but writing my book and being able to, to create a platform for myself that allowed that book to actually get into the hands of other human beings. I mean, it's all thanks to technology. Yeah. So you can definitely use it as a tool. I think that's the, the message I would like to pass on this. That's really helped me is especially having taken more than a year off several times from the Internet and, and, and tech for the most part, not ever 100 percent, but for the most part, it's uh, man, we live in the age of Star Trek. The things that we can do with technology is absolutely insane. The problem is if you just follow the path that technology takes you on, then it's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down, right? People are setting these paths that are meant to make you, whether it's, they call it engagement, right? The Silicon Valley folks, we call it addiction um, yeah. <laughs> on our side. So like, obviously, I am not anti-technology 100%. This, in the same way, like there's no way we'd be able to do any of this without technology. But we don't want to be slaves to technology. And I think when our brains are concerned and our consciousness is concerned, our minds, all of this, even our memories and our dreams, these things can be augmented negatively by technology. And they are right now without us realizing it. And for the sake of brain health, I think in a similar way, we need to practice self-defense with our consciousness and technology in a similar way that we do when we're eating our vegetables and not eating all the new garbage that they're trying to shove down our throats. 
Yeah, Abel, that's a perfect analogy. Like, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Technology is here to stay. The genie is not going back in the bottle, right? right? It's it's incredibly powerful. It's an inc- it's an amazing tool. We've revolutionized governments all thanks to, to yeah. thanks to technology, right? Like, we're more informed than we've ever been all thanks to technology. It's the same the same parallel can be drawn with food, right? We're not going to like stop eating food because we have a food supply that's become, you know, saturated with hyper palatable food-like products, right? No, we just avoid to the best of our abilities the hyperpalatable food-like products and stick to the real food. The same thing for technology. Like social media, we know that that's addictive. We know that social media provides to our brain the same uh, level of like dopamine response as hyperpalatable foods, right? So, I mean, I think the onus is really on us to recognize that, to become aware of that, and then to you know, use our devices accordingly with that, with that level of consciousness about it. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to stop, you know, Googling topics the minute we become curious about something, because that's, I think, where technology really is amazing. But it's about sort of thinking about, you know, taking, I think, the term hyperpalatability and extending extending it beyond food to, yeah. you know, is memes. Some, yeah, clickbait memes like like that headline was hyper palatable. I had to click on it. Just recognizing that and taking a little bit of like a pause if it's just like a beat or two and kind of recognizing that impulse that we have and then kind of like acting more, I guess, consciously about it. I think we'll, we'd all be a little bit better off. What a great point. Well, we're just about out of time, Max. But before we go, please tell folks where they can find your book and what you're working on next. Yeah. So my book, Genius Foods, is available everywhere books are sold. Again, it's called Genius Foods. I highly recommend uh, picking it up. I'm biased, of course, but, um, you know, it's it's helped a lot of people. It's a nutrition masterclass. It's a care manual for the modern human brain. Um, and then my podcast, The Genius Life, which is uh, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, yeah, that's Righteous. it. And I'm on social media, Instagram, Twitter, you know, you name it. Yeah, well, you've been on the show twice, Max. We're, we're going to have to go for the hat trick pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, it's always a pleasure hanging with you. You know, you're a light in this industry, and um, you know, there there are not many. Like, it's it's uh, when you meet good people putting out high quality information out into the universe, um, you want to keep those people close. You know, so Likewise. thank you for doing what you do, Abel. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. My pleasure. Hey there, listener. Thanks so much for listening to the very end of this episode. As a special bonus, I'm including a new original song that I made up just for you live on the spot as part of my new improv music video series. I hope you like it. You can check out hundreds of these original songs and more for free at ablejames.com. Here we go. Genius Ball Everything is perfect
This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and Future Greens. You want my number one health tip right now? Get your greens in every single day. I've been getting my greens on every day for coming up on, well, almost every day, let's be honest, for coming up on almost 10 years now, and I believe it makes a monumental difference to my health, performance, and overall well-being. Why? Well, most of us eat too many acidic foods like meat, dairy, or sugar and other junk carbs, leading to an unbalanced pH level in the body and more than our fair share of toxins. I don't know if you've ever tried greens supplements, but most of them taste terrible, like fish tank. And if it doesn't taste good, I won't drink it, no matter how good it is for me, especially if you're talking every day. There are tons of supplements out there packed with cheap fats, sugar, fillers, and caffeine, but we have a much better option if you're looking to increase your energy and your health. So when Allison and I are on the road, we always take Future Greens. Future Greens is a concentrated superfood powder made from 15 organic fruits and vegetables, plus six additional superfoods, as well as digestive enzymes. So in less than 60 seconds, you can get the nutrition of over 20 fruits, veggies, and adaptogens, all with less than one gram of sugar. Future Greens is packed with vitamins, minerals, and filling prebiotic fiber from whole, organic veggies, sprouts, algaes, and berries, including kale, beet, parsley, collard greens, cauliflower sprouts, broccoli sprouts, spirulina, chlorella, blueberries, raspberries, and much more. Imagine the time and expense it would take you to buy and prepare all those foods separately. Trust us, we've tried, and Future Greens makes it a heck of a lot easier. Our ingredients are harvested at peak freshness and potency and immediately concentrated and dried using cool temperature processes that preserve the energetic and nutritional integrity of all the ingredients. Whether you're looking to strengthen your immunity, cleanse your system of toxins, alkalize your body, diversify your diet, or boost your energy without caffeine, Future Greens is your new best friend. 
And as a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can get a 20% discount to try Future Greens yourself. So to get Future Greens from Wild Superfoods and your special Fat Burning Man deal, just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get 20% off when you subscribe and save. On top of that, you'll get an extra bonus that I can't even tell you about right now, but just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens. We'll see you there. Well, hey there, listener. This is Abel one more time, and I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Fat Burning Man Show. If you liked it, don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you might be listening to or watching this show right now. And if you have a second, please leave me a quick review for the Fat Burning Man Show. I read every single one of them, and every time you leave a review, it gives us a little boost in the rankings, and that helps other people find this show. And if you can think of someone else who might enjoy and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or a family member. And if they're like, what is this fat burning man thing? That's a really silly name. You could be like, you're right, but here's the deal. We've recorded over 250 episodes of the fat burning man show with thought leaders in health from all over the world. And so far we've won four awards hitting number one in health in more than eight countries internationally. We have more than 30 million downloads already, but we're just getting started. I can't believe any of this, by the way, and couldn't do any of this without you. So thanks once again. But here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode of the Fat Burning Man Show for free with zero outside advertisements, no outside sponsors, and no corporate overlords. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. We'll give you a, a second here just to type it in, fatburningman.com. And you'll get all the show notes, transcripts, and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of the Fat Burning Man Show for free. Better yet, enter your email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide so you can take your health into your own hands right now along with a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now. Enter your best email to get your free goodies with a bonus surprise straight to your inbox. This is Abel James signing off. Thank you so much for listening once again, and have a great week.